our general booking requests get things that are like, I would like to book December 10th with you with no other information, which is going right in the trash. We are indie rock band in the variety of War on Drugs or Kurt Vile. See below for additional info and please let us know if there's any avails we can look at. And then press, performance history, links, description of the band. Just make it look clean, make it not too long. Make sure that you're putting the subject line of the venue that you're actually addressing rather than just a blind email. A lot of times we just get hello venue and that's just to turn off immediately. You don't care about our venue, you just want to show anywhere. You might not have history in our market. Tell me about adjacent markets or what kind of numbers you're doing in your home market, even if you haven't played our room before. If you're doing a 500 cap club in Virginia, that's impressive. High quality content is obviously so much more attractive uh, and appealing. Oftentimes I see, you know, just a music video, like I'll, I'm just listening to the song. I don't care that much about it. And if you get shot room with people in it, it can even just be at a festival. It doesn't have to be a hard ticket show. Like if you're playing at a festival and I know that those people aren't there to see you, but if I see them dancing and smiling and I can yeah. see that they're responding well to your music, that's something I look for as well. So videos are helpful, but making sure that it conveys like there's a lot of people at my show or the people that are there are really enjoying it because I don't really care too much about seeing a music video. This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features, annual fee unlimited uploads, and you keep 100% of your royalties. Check out districtkid.com. What's going on? Welcome to the New Music Business. I'm your host, Ari Herstand, author of How to Make It in the New Music Business, the book. Today, my guest is Paul Bacher. He is currently the talent buyer, or some people call that the booker, at the Brooklyn Bowl for both the Brooklyn location, the OG original location, and the Philadelphia location. He has also worked at the Knitting Factory, City Winery, the Cutting Room. Uh, he has booked hundreds and hundreds of shows, um, if not maybe thousands at this point. And uh, we talk everything from talent buying, what that is, the deal breakdowns uh, for you know touring acts, uh, guarantees versus cuts of the doors, all that stuff. Opening versus headlining, uh, how do you get an opening slot for a touring act, um, what he's looking for and, and how he decides who he's going to book at uh, his clubs and uh, the perfect email pitch, all that stuff. Something that uh, we didn't get into, but I do want to actually note here. Uh, as you'll hear throughout this episode and as we get into all the deals, uh, there's no pay to play that he even flirts with. Every band, every artist that plays his venues gets paid. They're not required to sell their own tickets. They're not. They're, they are uh, expected to promote the shows. Absolutely. But if you're listening to this and a promoter ever approaches you and is like, "Hey, 
um, you know, you can play this hot club, but you have to give me uh, 500 bucks up front and I'm going to give you 50 tickets and you got to sell all of them. And then, you know, you can keep the profit after that or whatever. Uh, don't do that. Don't pay to play. Don't ever pay to get on a stage. Uh, even the local bands that, that he puts on a support, he's paying. So, um, you know, legit promoters, legit talent buyers, legit venues We'll pay you to play their establishment. If any of them asks you for money, run the other way. They are not legitimate. And most likely, they're scamming you, and you don't want to mess around with scams. So uh, I I didn't even dignify this practice uh, in our conversation. And you'll hear uh, how he operates and how that all works. This was a fascinating conversation. Anyone in the live music space can learn a lot from this, no matter what side of uh, the booking equation you are on, whether you're a, a booking agent or a talent buyer or a an artist manager or an artist yourself or a band just getting started or a band with 20 years touring experience. You're going to learn a lot from this. It was a fascinating conversation. And I also asked him towards the end, uh, what is the post-pandemic world looking like in terms of uh, club booking and where he's at? Now, this is a uh, the Brooklyn Bowl is a 900 cap venue for reference, uh, so they're they're kind of that uh, the mid-level club range, um, mid to to high-level club range, I, I suppose. As always, please like. Follow, subscribe this podcast. However, you're listening to this right now, maybe just hit pause real quick and uh, hit a, hit that follow or that subscribe button so we'll show up in your feed. Uh, give us a five star review on Spotify Podcasts and Apple Podcasts. And however, you're listening to this, if you're on YouTube right now, give us a thumbs up, give me a comment, subscribe. Uh, I love reading the comments, and I, I really appreciate the reviews. Uh, if you want the show to keep going, if you're if you're getting something from it, all you got to do is just kind of let me know, and, and you can do that by subscribing, uh, by sharing it, by giving us a, a review, or feel free to, to write in info at com and let us know what you uh, think about the show, or maybe tell us some guests you'd like uh, us to, to have on. You can also find us on all the social platforms, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok at Ari's Take. You can find me personally at Ari Herstan on Instagram and Twitter. Visit Ari'sTake.com. Get on that email list, and that is where we're going to send the most up-to-date, most relevant, most important information about the new music business. Head over to Ari'sTake.com. Get on that email list. All right, let's kick into the show. Paul Bacher, welcome to the show. Hey, Ari. Good to be with you, man. How are you? Great. Um, so I'm assuming, are you coming to me from New York? Is that where you're based? Is that where you live? I'm actually based in Philadelphia. Um, ah. I moved, moved from New York last year to help open the new venue here in Fishtown. Yeah, I was going to ask how new the Brooklyn Bowl Philly was because uh, in my touring days, I never ran into that one. So the Brooklyn Bowl uh, in Brooklyn, in Williamsburg, that's the OG, right? And now you have a few other locations, uh, Vegas, Nashville, um, and now Philly. Is Philly the, the most recent one that you guys have opened? Correct. Philly is the cool. baby. Uh, opened in November of last year. November nice. 4th was our opening date with Soul Live and Quest Love from The Roots. Um, Love Soul Live. Man, I saw Soul Live. I was huge fan. I'm friends with with uh, Eric Krasno, but I was a huge Soul Live fan back in back in my college days. I would see them quite a bit. Um, yeah, that's a that's a and Quest Love, no doubt. That's a great yeah, we, we call Soul Live the house band uh, of Brooklyn Bowl. We always uh, <laughs> ask them to to open any of the new rooms that we that we uh, that we continue to expand in the new markets. And Quest Love is a fixture of Brooklyn Bowl as well, so it's good and to have a fixture have, of uh, Philly, the Roots. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> cool. Yeah, That's great. Um, amazing. So, um, but you've been a talent buyer for how many years? I mean, you've you've been in a few different venues. I know. I saw us. 
cutting room city winery um and now the uh brooklyn bowl how many how long have you been doing the talent buying thing i first really got started uh in 2016 um, oh, okay. at the cutting room and uh pianos uh kind of splitting my time as an intern between the two um mm. learning the ropes um and then got an opportunity to come on as a buyer for the knitting factory in brooklyn which was nice um you know historic concert venue in new york and manhattan and then they moved to williamsburg uh, mm-hmm. for about a decade they actually just announced um, their final show at the end of august um mm. so um sad to see that one uh, closing its doors but i yeah. have a feeling that they'll you know find another opportunity in new york in the future Mm-hmm. Um, and then bounced over to city winery for, um, for a bit, uh, working with that team, um, until their Soho location closed and they were closed for some renovations to open their new, um, Chelsea location. Um, yeah. but in the meantime, I, uh, learned that Broken Bowl was, was looking to expand. And as a concert fan, Broken Bowl was always, um, the place that I gravitated towards the most and yeah. sort of the genre of, of music. I knew that I could have the most impact, um, assisting with. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was just a great fit for my, uh, career identity and, um, yeah. just makes me that much more motivated to, to do a good job for them. What's the capacity of uh, Brooklyn bowl, Brooklyn, and I guess also Philly. They're both at 900 capacity. Oh, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I was at the, I was at Brooklyn bowl. Um, I saw a show there, man, it was right before lockdown. I think it was February, 2020. I saw, I was in town and I saw scary pockets there. Um, and Jack Stratton from Wolfpack set in and cool spot. Like there's actually bowling happening <laughs> right next to like, it's essentially part of the live room. Like there's people standing there and right behind you, people are bowling or the side of you and that kind of stuff. If you can hang out over there. And I think that's, it's so unique. And so, cool it is i came on at a time when uh you know it was already a tried and true concept and people were really familiar with the brand and, and the concept yeah. but you know having moved to philadelphia and trying to educate people on what it is i realized that you know it's not that obvious um <laughs> uh, uh, of a concept so it's been uh it's it's been uh, exciting to you know educate people on, on what brooklyn bowl is here in philadelphia mm-hmm. but that is like the unique experience that you have that, um, you know, aside from having the lanes there, the vantage point that you have of watching a show that close to the stage and the access yeah. that the bowling lanes give you is a pretty unique concert experience. It certainly, uh, it feels like you're on the stage in, in the Philadelphia yeah. and the Brooklyn locations if you're on one of those closer lanes. And it's just a, yeah. a vantage point that you're not able to access at any other room that I know. Yeah, and I see that you sell packages. If you actually want to bowl and catch the show, you can like buy out like eight tickets or something, or a few lanes, and then you can bowl. You can watch the show. You can bowl, and that that's a really interesting experience too. Yeah, especially in New York, you know, there's so many you know, bachelor parties or birthday parties, special events, you know, corporate outings um, that it makes for a, a cool um additional experience besides just having your you know watching the show on the ga for the real diehard fan or if you want to you know have some fun and bowl while also eating and enjoying the show simultaneously uh it allows for the casual fan to you know have something to do as well if they might not be as familiar with the music so we make sure that our booking is geared towards music that appeals to everyone um and you don't have to be such a diehard fan to know every word or to really enjoy the show because a lot of the music is just fun party music, funk, soul. Um, and, and that's the kind of music that, you know, everyone sort of gravitates to and, and can relate to. 
So I'm curious about uh, how you go about booking the rooms um, in terms of the lineups, because I was looking at kind of the Brooklyn uh, lineup, and yeah, there is a lot of kind of tribute acts, I guess. Um, what's the kind of percentage, like I, I think I saw, um, you know, like you're saying, just music that everyone can kind of get into. I saw like a Stevie Wonder and Prince tribute, Beatles, Usher, Beyonce tribute, Talking Heads, Pink Floyd uh, fish tribute like a lot of those kinds of shows is that the angle right now is is mostly um shows that people can kind of bowl and enjoy or uh, i did see you had a few touring artists as well what's i guess what's the breakdown what's the angle of focus um ver- uh, kind of like touring uh acts uh cont- you know bands versus more party nights it's very much seasonal so if you're yeah. looking at the calendar right now you know, the touring bands are all playing festivals. They're right. They're playing outdoor shows. They're radiused out from playing the clubs. Mm. Um, so this is easily the slowest time of year is the dead of summer, Got which it. is why you'll see more dance parties, tribute acts. And I think, you know, that type of music, um, as you know, you know, Prince Stevie wonder, it's hard to find anyone who's not a fan of that music. <laughs> right. So uh, <laughs> a lot of times, you know, it's a safe bet to put a band on like that, especially if they're quality musicians. And knowing that we have, you know, a, a room full of people who are bowling anyway, uh, mm-hmm. it acts as sort of entertainment for them, as well as the casual music fan who just wants to see a lineup. But if you look into October and November, is really the heaviest touring season uh, for the East Coast markets. Got it. So I think you'll, that's where you'll find a lot less uh, of the tribute acts kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, we also do, you know, we try to do two shows a night on Fridays and Saturdays. So we'll typically do oh, wow. a touring artist in the evening and then change over for some sort of dance party, um, mm. something that can go late. Um, cool. And whether it's a disco dance party or emo night, those are some concepts that we've had for a while and, and are very successful and uh, mm. that we're known for. So mm-hmm. nice. we try to flip the room as much as possible. And the 4 a.m. curfew in New York helps us. Um, oh, know, yeah. Extend <laughs> um, totally. But to um, answer your question, it, it, it's all seasonal. Yeah, that makes sense. So let's. Um, I want to. I want to zoom out a bit and just kind of uh, break down for people listening who aren't really familiar with what talent buying is. Uh, you know, can you just explain to me what talent buying is or uh, slash booking and just kind of what your role is? Mm-hmm. What do you do? Sure. Yeah, I, I represent the venue um, in securing programming and live events. Um, to put on their stage, to attract people to come into the venue, to watch the show, to eat and drink at the bar, to bowl. Mm-hmm. Um, so I act as a broker for the venue um, and I make deals with the broker for the artist, who's the agent. And together we come to an agreement on uh, what a fair uh, guarantee and deal is for the artist in question mm-hmm. so that the artist is taken care of and can cover their expenses and the venue can do the same because Uh, Just like an artist has expenses with gas and hotels and meals on the road, the venue has expenses with rent and insurance and security and box office and bartenders, and in our case, a full kitchen and a bowling staff. Mm. Um, So, you know, everyone has expenses to cover. And um, at the end of the day, you know, if the venue is dark and doesn't have a show, then everyone loses. Um, so we are we do have to fill our calendar, and a lot of times, you know, you, you have to just put programming into the room that you know is going to, you know, keep the people who are employed there making money, the bartenders and servers and all that. So sure. uh, we have an identity, and um, 
a sort of booking philosophy that we have and bands that we like to see in the room. But at the same time, we you know are running a business and we need to make sure that we're opening our doors with um, programming that we feel is within our brand and is also you know going to drive bar revenue. Who do you primarily work with for these deals? Are you are you uh, working directly with artists, with managers, with booking agents? Do promoters come in, outside promoters, indies, bigger ones? Who are you making these deals with? All the above, uh, from okay. some of the most high-powered agents who are representing A-list international talent mm-hmm. to working directly with an artist that I see in a bar that I like and go up to and say, hey, you know, I have a country music show uh, coming up in a couple of weeks and I see you have, you know, a crowd of 50 people here, you're playing a mean pedal steel guitar and I'll throw you 500 bucks <laughs> over to the show, you know? Uh, and then everywhere in between. So if it's the artist manager who wants to talk with me about it, if they're represented by an agent, it's usually politically correct to deal with the artist agent um, yep. to not go around that person. Um, there are also other promoters who, uh, for instance, in Philadelphia have been doing shows here and, and dance parties or such for a long time. Mm-hmm. And they have you know, a big email list and a, a loyal crowd and they'll end up renting the room and we'll come mm-hmm. to an agreement for, you know, Hey, they'll rent the room. They'll cover our expenses, our operating expenses, and they'll keep all the ticket revenue. We'll run the show for you. It'll look like Brooklyn bowl is doing the show, but in fact, you're keeping all the ticket money after we cover our expenses. So there's all a right. variety of different um, agreements and, uh, and deals that we make from, you know, a flat guarantee with an agent who's representing an artist to uh a flat a door deal and splitting the percentage of the of the ticket sales um, depending on how well the show does directly with the artist. Mm-hmm. Um, Brooklyn Bowl is unique because um, you know for our our size we're still doing a lot of local programming uh, because we like to just have fun bands in the room and yeah. we have a bit of a built-in crowd on weekends especially so we can just we can book uh, you know bands that might not have the biggest draw but we know are very entertaining and, and talented. Um, and that will, and that will entertain a, a crowd who's already in the room without having to pressure them to sell tickets the way that mm. you know, some concert venues who are just a stage and a bar and nothing yeah. else, uh, they're really under the gun to make sure that whatever programming they're putting in the room, uh, they're, they're confident that it's going to sell a certain number of tickets. So let's, let's talk more about those deals and get a little bit, um, more into the weeds on it. So you mentioned, uh, guarantees. That's something that I think everybody can understand where, uh, you're offering the 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 act the artist um, just a flat guarantee, just a, a set, just a check to come in and show up and play the room. Um, and then you mentioned um, a uh, a percentage of the door of, of tickets. Um, tell me a little bit more about that deal and how that works. Is that something where? Um, you know, give me the range. Are we talking? Is there a difference between? Uh, are you are you all ages? Or are you twenty one plus? Or in Brooklyn, we're twenty one plus. It varies. Yeah, in, in the other markets, uh, sometimes eighteen, sometimes all ages. But we like to be twenty one plus. Okay, so tell me, yeah, what is the range? Are you doing like 70-30 split, 85-15? Is it just a, a set, you know, you get the tickets, we get the bar? Uh, what's the percentage? Is there an expenses off the top that you're taking? Is there a range in expenses? Give me give me a breakdown of that, kind of how that works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that too is, uh, you, hit, you touched on a few of them. Um, there are sometimes where we'll give you 100% of the door after you, we cover all of our expenses. Um if it's an artist that we know is going to probably sell out the room, if it's a, if it's an artist that we're not too sure of, um, yeah, we'll basically we want to, it's about how confident you are in, in the show's success. We know that it's an artist that, you know, 
uh, can command a higher ticket price, right? If we're doing a 60-40 split, um, 40% of a 30 or $40 ticket is a lot more money than 40% of a $10 ticket. So, right. so if it's depending on the ticket price, we will increase the percentage that we offer the artist. So if it's a $40 ticket, sometimes you'll see us go to 75% or 80% to the artist if we are confident that the show's going to sell out. Mm-hmm. But if it's a $10 ticket, we're rarely going above 60% to the artist only because, you know, the math doesn't allow us to cover our expenses and mm. expenses are thousands of dollars. Um, so it all depends on how high your expenses are um, and what deal that you want. You know, a place like Pianos, the deal was 100% to the artist after the first 10 tickets, you know? So, and you'd book five bands a night. Every artist would give the house $100. The house would pay their sound man and the bartender the $500. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that was it. That was the only expenses they had to cover. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as you work up to city winery and Brooklyn Bowl levels, you have much more expenses factoring in. And so you need to be conscious that, you know, we, we need to be able to cover some of those expenses with the ticket sales. So mm-hmm. uh, you have a, a gross deal where you're not factoring in expenses, a 60, 40 split from dollar one. Mm-hmm. Um, it's typically a, a, a pretty standard deal you'll see. And sometimes you'll scale that out. Okay. 60% from dollar one at 400 tickets, we'll bump to 65 at 800 tickets. We'll bump to 70 and really mm-hmm. provide incentive for artists to, uh, to hit, to make more money. Mm-hmm. And that's something we like to see as promoters. You know, a lot of artists are are worth a, a ten thousand dollar guarantee, but some of them will just say, "Give us seventy five percent of the door," because we know that we'll make more money that way. Huh. And and for us, we you know we're happy because we don't have any any risk on the line as far as a guarantee goes. If perhaps the weather doesn't work out, or there happens to be another uh, show of the same genre on that night that we weren't aware of, you know, we're covered mm-hmm. in that degree. And then the artist ends up making far more money than the $10,000 maybe uh, if the yep. show does perform well. So we love seeing artists that are confident in themselves and, and don't require a guarantee because they're, they know that they'll do the numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but more often than not, you know, you need to find somewhere in between where it's a modest guarantee versus a percentage of the ticket sales if the show does well. And in that mm-hmm. case, it's usually something like a $5,000 guarantee versus 85% of the door after the expenses, uh, which are, you know, anywhere from, three to seven thousand dollars usually for a club our size oh wow that that's uh 900 cap club so what what what's the difference between three and seven thousand dollars that's quite a range for expenses where does that fluctuate how does that fluctuate and vary it depends on how much security you need to bring in it depends on you know how many bartenders we have a full kitchen that's that's a you know far greater expense than just a bar you know, we have the bowling lanes, you know, it's another expense. So mm-hmm. we're a more expensive room to operate than, you know, maybe sure. another club of our size. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of the fan experience, you know, you get to eat, you get to bowl. It's, it's a more fun place to see a show sure. um, for the most part. Uh, and we know that we have that additional revenue um, from the food and from the bowling. So we can often be more generous with the artists yeah. um, rather than just, you know, um, leaning on the fact that we have higher expenses. And you did mention that uh, there are some uh, acts that I guess are more proven that you would do that 60-40 split uh, without expenses, just from dollar one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we understand that, you know, most acts probably aren't going to cover a lot of the expenses a lot of the time. You know, saying, okay, we'll give you 80% of the door after expenses on a $10 or $15 ticket, you're probably not even hitting $7,500 worth of. Right. 
worth of ticket revenue. And so, you know, we, we will, you know, make it easier for them to make money right away because we're not trying to just take all the money. We understand that, you know, we want artists to make money and, sure. um, and, and so we'll, we'll, we'll try to share in the risk and the reward of doing yep. a show together by saying, you know, we're not going to give you any money, but, um, if the show does well, we'll both make money and you'll make a little bit more than we will. And we yeah. probably both won't cover our expenses, but, um, well from the door though, but you're, you're not sharing the bar revenue, the food revenue, the bowling revenue with the bands, right? Correct. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you can make that there. So it's like you get to keep the bar and the food and the bowling and all of that other stuff. And the band is really only making it, um, on the door, I guess on merch, do you keep any of the band's merch? Well. It depends. If it's a touring band, yes. If it's a local band, usually not. And what are we talking and how much you keep of the merch? Our merch split is 80-20 on uh, soft goods and 100% to the artist on recorded material. Got it. Okay. So you keep 20% of soft goods. Mm-hmm. Okay. T-shirt and stuff. Okay. Cool. Uh, that makes sense. Um, when mm-hmm. When is it something where uh, you were to offer um, – I guess at what point – is an act to you proven enough to offer a more generous deal or a a high guarantee? Um, What signals to you that this artist is ready for that level of a deal? Uh, It's usually just history in the market. You know, Brooklyn Bowl Mm -hmm. being at 900 cap, it's usually not an artist's first time playing the market that we're in. So we're keeping tabs. If you've sold out Mercury Lounge or Baby's All Right, we know that you're worth, you know, 250 to 300 tickets. Mm-hmm. And then if we add some support fans on that, you know, we, we can come up with a package that we feel confident can do 500 tickets. We know that at Brooklyn Bull, the average person spends about this much money per head. And so we can project how much revenue we're looking at for a certain night of the week in a certain mm-hmm. month. Um, and with all that in mind, we can, you know, come up with an offer that we think uh, is lucrative for the artist uh, and fair for the house as well. But, mm-hmm. you know, so much of it has to do with the time of year. Um, you know, if we're hurting for programming in the summer and an artist says, this is what we need to make it happen. And we know that the artist is good for a certain number of tickets, you know, perhaps we'll make concessions because we need programming. Um, sure. Whereas if it's in a super busy month of the year, like October or April, mm-hmm. when we know that the, con- the calendar is going to be jam packed of successful programming, no matter what, we can be a little more selective and, uh, and tight with our deals. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's cyclical, it's seasonal. Um, and then, you know, a lot of it is, you know, what's the look that we want? Uh, we prefer 21 plus shows. It can be a sell out, you know, all ages pop show where nobody is spending any bar revenue. And, you know, right. even if, you know, we're giving the, it's a 60, 40 deal and we're covering our expenses. If we don't make any money at the bar, then it, we probably lose money with, with, uh, the rent and insurance that we have to pay as well. Sure, so, sure. So you're, you're, you're thinking about the bar revenue. You're also thinking about the optics of the, the show that you're booking. And, you know, we have our own identity at Brooklyn Bowl. And there are some artists that we want to be more aggressive to get into the room because we like the look of them on the calendar. And there's other artists cool. that we will not be as aggressive with because, you know, it doesn't matter to us as much if, uh, if we lose that show. Cool. That uh, makes sense. Um, I want to go back to something you mentioned uh, earlier about the uh, the honky tonk uh, player, the pedal steel guy, and saying how you you s- might discover them at a at a spot uh, in town. Um, you know, they they sold fifty tickets and they're good for fifty tickets, and you want to bring them on an opening slot. Uh, speak to kind of the local artists 
And there's a lot of local artists. There's a lot of artists in hometown markets listening right now that that may be good for 50 to 100 to 150, 200 tickets locally and would love to get on a touring band's uh, show as the local opener. Um, how? What would you recommend to artists on how to go about that, uh, whether it's with you or, or any any artist in any market um, kind of looking at these you know, venues of similar capacity, how would artists go about that? And what do those deals look like? And what are you looking for in artists um, when you're, when you're needing to put on some local support? Mm -hmm. um, so I'm still in the live business. You know, I, I know that a lot of artists are, are being found on, on TikTok, on, on Instagram or whatever, but I, I'm mm -hmm. still out three or four nights a week seeing music um, wow. in Philadelphia. Um, now, a lot of that is because I'm new to the city and I need to get my lay of the land here. Um, right. but I've, you know, made some pretty quick connections with the funk and soul and jam scene here in Philadelphia, just by nature of going out and seeing music. Um, and where I decided to see shows, you know, I, I did my research on, you know, small concert venues that I know attracted, you know, quality acts. Um, yeah. and so for, for acts that are just coming up and looking to get the attention of national talent buyers and, uh, to open for tours, I would say to make sure to identify the smaller clubs, the 200 cap clubs, the 150, you know, the 150 to 300 cap clubs, mm -hmm. um, um, where you have a better shot of getting more consistent shows, you know, where they're really needing to fill the calendar. You know, those kind of clubs are usually trying to book seven nights a week, you know, uh -huh. and, 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 you know, being loud about your advertising, the, the, the most successful bands I've seen here in Philadelphia have just phenomenal um, self-promotion, mm -hmm. whether they're playing out in the street, in the parks, um, you know, releasing content on all the platforms I mentioned, in addition to constantly playing and mm -hmm. just grabbing attention. Um, and so by nature of my just going out, seeing shows and then following these artists on social media and constantly being reminded that they exist mm -hmm. when an opportunity comes up, that's fitting for them. They're usually the first artists that I think of. Um, and, and, you know, it's obviously genre dependent, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, I was out, uh, on Sunday, you know, having a drink on the waterfront here, listening to a reggae band mm -hmm. and they were great. You know, the restaurant was packed. I'm sure it was all just because the restaurant was packed. Uh, sure. or, I mean, the, you know, it was just a, a restaurant. They were just a, a bar, a, a bar band playing there. Sure. But they were really good. Uh, they had original music and, you know, I got their information and if a reggae show comes up and needs support, you know, I'll probably think of them and submit it to the agent. You know, awesome. I'm not, I'm not thinking that they're going to, uh, blow the roof off the place and sell a bunch of tickets. But a lot of times, you know, we need to fill time as much as we need to, you know, have them sell tickets because, mm. you know, that, that, that opening hour and that changeover in between is additional, you know, time that people will get another drink um, and, you know, stay longer at the Brooklyn Bowl. So it's, it's not always just like, can you add tickets to the bill? It's always, it's also extending the night. Right. That was, yeah, that's my next question is kind of, um, uh, if you had to guess, and maybe you uh, ballpark, uh, what percentage or so of shows that come through of touring acts um, need local support uh, to help sell tickets? What percentage need local support just to fill the time? And then what percentage of acts come through and don't want or need any local support? Real quick, I want to let you know about Two Lost. Two Lost is a new distribution company to the space. And let me tell you, I am very impressed with them. I, I got a full deep dive demo 
with the founder. And yeah, they're very innovative. And when you come into the distribution space at this stage with how crowded it is, you better be innovative. And they are. Yes, they will get your music out to Spotify, Apple Music, all the places, plus 450 other outlets around the world. They do not take a commission. This is why 300,000 artists and labels have already used them. They've already distributed 7 million songs. They offer payment splitting, and they don't charge your collaborators for this service for the payment splitting. They will just pay your collaborators directly for free. They have publishing administration with BMG, so you know it's legit. A lot of distributors have have fallen into trouble with using some other uh, less than legit pub admin services. Well, Two Loss has partnered with BMG. You know it's legit. They offer instant royalty advances. Uh, this is something that's very cool. And if you have historical streaming data and you need just a bulk payment up front, they can see how much your music has earned in the past. I'm like, all right, we think we know what you're going to earn in the next three years. Here's a check for a hundred grand or whatever it will be. And you can just click a button and get that distributed and um, into your account immediately. They do lyrics and credits distribution for free. They have a very innovative analytics platform where, yes, you will see real-time analytics for Spotify, Apple Music, but also Pandora, Deezer, SoundCloud, and Peloton. They're the only ones that do Peloton. Uh, They also have a service where you can search the internet wherever your music is being used, and it will just show you a chart of Everywhere, every TikTok video, everywhere, every YouTube video, everywhere your music is possibly being used. I've never seen this before. That was very cool. They'll register with Sound Exchange, and they have a fraud prevention tool, and they're doing fraud prevention. So if you're worried about your music, you know, getting a bot attack or something like that and getting ripped down, which we've seen is a big issue, uh, they have fraud prevention tools that are better than most other distributors that I have seen. Check out Two Lost. You can just go to twolost.com. Use the promo code Ari's Take for three months free and try them out. Let them know what you think. The major tours usually are carrying support. Um, okay. Sometimes international bands, you know, they'll they'll just pick a local from from every market. There's definitely I don't know thirty percent of the shows that we have here are looking for local support. Uh, we're always hoping to do a little. I mean, we're always. Uh, prioritizing acts that we know can sell their own tickets. Um, okay. That you know, if, if you can do both fill time and sell tickets, we prefer that than just mm-hmm. fill time. You know, mm-hmm. um, but you know, part of it is the uh, is the taste of the talent buyer, or the promoter. Um, you know, part of it is you know, is it uh, an agent that you work with who has a new band that he wants to promote on this show, and you want to give him a favor so he gives you a favor in the future? It's a lot of. Mm-hmm quid pro quo, quo stuff like that, the, you know, yeah. the sports stuff. But at the end of the day, if, if it's me making a push and saying, this is why I think we should, act, you know, I want to help this act. I think it's a great fit. And, you know, I'll, I'll make the case to say, Hey, they're worth tickets, even if they're not, because you mm. know, I think they're a good fit. And I like <laughs> the look of having them in the room, um, which I've done a few times here in Philadelphia. And um, more often than not, it's worked out. Uh, nice. And, and the, the bands here in Philadelphia have been very vocal that, you know, uh, for a club of our size, They've been seeing a lot more local bands get opportunities here to support touring shows than than some of the other venues in the market. So that's cool. something that we take pride in for sure. That's awesome. Um, and what do those deals look like for local openers? Pretty minimal, two fifty to five hundred cap, uh, two to five hundred dollar guarantees. But at Brooklyn Bowl, you know, we feed you dinner, we give you drinks. So 
Right. You know, you know for a thousand clap cap club, usually five hundred dollars support slot is uh, is is what you're looking at. You know, if yep. it's if it's a really good local, maybe we'll push it to a thousand, but. Mm-hmm. Um, that often takes away from the headliners guarantee. So. Sure. And then what do you recommend to artists who get put on as a local, as local support for a touring act? Um, what do you like to see from them uh, to kind of get in your good graces, maybe get offered more local spots in the future? Um, what, what, how can an artist that gets a local support slot make the most of it? Um, obviously just hustle, like crazy, you know, don't book a bunch of shows around our show. There's, you know, mm. I'm, I'm often surprised when, you know, a band, you know, asks to come on a show and, and then I see that they have a, sh- they book a show two weeks later and they're promoting both. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, we don't have a firm radius clause with local acts, but we assume that, you know, if we're putting you on a touring show, that that's your priority and that you're not going to announce and promote other shows within a month or so of, of that date. Um, you know, obviously we want to see you consistently, you know, posting, having shown your website, just promoting the show on your own, you know, sure. adding you to, you know, add a, a local element to this show and to, to you know, galvanize the local fan base um, or folks that might not care about the headliner, but want to come see their, their friends open for a national act in a bigger venue and sure. come out and support it. Um, so as much of that like proactive promoting we see is something that I always take note of. And mm. if it's an act that I have to beg to, you know, even announce the show when we've added you to, you know, the artist artwork and like your name is right there next to a national act. And then, uh, you know, I've had occasionally acts that say, you know, it's not my job to promote your show. And I'm just like, okay. <laughs> like, uh, and you know, yeah. obviously that, that those, those artists are not, you know, in my good graces. Um, yeah. But then just like creative ways of doing it too. If they make funny videos, like I, I like uh, people that get creative and, you know, we're, we're not always going to repost um, a shout out video. So you don't have to do the whole, like, Hey, we're playing the Brooklyn bowl um, sure. in two weeks. So hope to see you, you know, like, like, uh, you know, is, is sort of a, a thing that we see a lot, but um, I don't know. It's hard to get creative these days um, when people's attention spans are short and, you know, at the end of the day, you're just trying to communicate the information we're playing here on this date, come see the show. But uh, it's always fun when, to see people go above and beyond. We had an act get tattooed a QR code on their chest that to show, you know, link to their Spotify account and like promoting our show at the same time. And I was just like, that's the best thing I've ever seen. And so, I hope that wasn't a real tattoo of a QR code. On I mean, he, he, he's what? super tatted up and, and he's, you know, uh, obviously <laughs> promoting his band. But like, it was amazing. Yeah. I hope QR and, codes uh, don't die then, I guess, in three years. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> hope he has so access that's an to extreme example that of like, yeah, that's what I like to see. You can bet your ass that that band is my number one go-to. You know? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> cool. Um, nice. And then uh, you mentioned something earlier about when you're out seeing bands and the ones, um, you know, the what do you like to see from artists from local artists you said you mentioned something about constantly playing or kind of staying top of mind it's kind of like this um 
this give and take and this balance because if artists are playing out all the time, then they're going to they're gonna spread their audience pretty thin, but then they are top of mind and you're, you know, they're always uh, on people's radars. Uh, how do you recommend artists kind of balance that in terms of being able to say, oh, we can sell 400 tickets because they waited three months, four months to play, you know, in between shows versus they're playing every week and they're bringing, you know, 25, 50 people a show, but because they're playing every week, but they're top of mind. What did, what, how would, what did you recommend in that yeah. situation? Yeah, that is a bit of a catch 22. Um, and it's rare to find an artist that can do both that can, you know, play out frequently and also, uh, do the hard tickets. Yeah. Um, but some of the examples that I've seen here are, are softer ticket clubs where it's just more of like a, a bar with a stage in the corner and you're not really even maybe it's a five dollar cover just so you know it's not exactly a hard ticket room but you're making new fans just by the quality of the music that you're playing and you might be advertising a show that's coming up mm. uh, where you can say hey we're going to be on a real stage this is going to be a, a real concert you know you think we sound good here in the bar wait till you see us up with like full production and all that cool um so building an audience in a place where there's a natural crowd mm -hmm. is you know it, it, that's where i go to hear music whether it's a country bar, Skinny Dennis in New York is like a place that, you know, we, we, we go to hear music. Time here in Philadelphia is a great jazz uh, funk uh, bar. Nice. And these are these are primarily bars with stages in the corner, you know? Yeah. But I've, I've found more than a few acts uh, that I can tell are just like phenomenal quality that are playing the weekly show there to make some money and to expand their fan base. And, you know, they're gaining their Instagram followers from those uh, from those bar gigs, you know? Sure. If they get, you know, 10 or 15 followers every every week you know, that adds up. And then when they're ready to say, Hey, here's our album release show at, you know, Mercury lounge. And we're taking a month off from the, the bar. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. That could be a good way of doing it. So finding a way to stay in front of people and impress them with their music uh, without forcing them to like buy a ticket to your show um, would probably be the best compromise there. Nice. That's great advice. And speaking of QR codes, pop one of those when you're playing the bar to make sure that you, people can find you and put your name up and so they know who you are. Uh, they can find you on Instagram or that QR can go to your email sign up or something like that just to kind of grab those people in the bar. Um, that's great. So um, talk to me about, uh, you know, Brooklyn Bowl is, I guess, what we would consider an independent music venue um there are music venues out there that are owned and operated by live nation ag that kind of stuff can you break down the difference between indie music venues and uh i guess uh corporate venues or i don't really know what we call the ones that are run by big uh promoters so brooklyn bowl is uh, actually recently a, a joint venture with live nation so it's Just not kidding. owned and operated <laughs> so are you employed <laughs> by live nation right now it's a little ambiguous. Um, you know, my, my email address is Brooklyn Bowl, but okay. I also have a Live Nation email address. Um, uh -huh. um, Another one bites the dust. So it's, a, it's, it's, it's a partnership. It's, it's not a, an owned and operated venue. Uh, mm -hmm. And we do uh, behave differently than, than, the, than the, those other Live Nation clubs. In what um, way? But there, um, in that we have a little more autonomy in the offers that we're able to make artists because okay. of the nature of our business model mm -hmm. depending a lot on that food and bowling revenue whereas mm. you know a live nation club doesn't really they're all they're concerned about is ticket sales sure and thus you know the deals that they make with artists uh, don't factor really anything in other than that and so mm. you know they, they 
oftentimes we can we can spend a little little more like drunken sailors. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, gotcha. But to answer your question, like the biggest difference, obviously, is just leverage. Um, when you're a part of the Live Nation family, there are other assets, festivals, other clubs that you know. If you get in with Live Nation from the beginning, mm -hmm. and you're doing a good job, you pretty much have an inside track to, you know, uh, enjoy and take advantage of those assets, whether mm -hmm. it's um, the House of the Blues in Boston or the Lollapalooza or Governor's Ball, um, sure, what have you. And it's the same exact thing with AEG and Bowery Presents and Coachella and Brooklyn Steel and um, so I mean, they've Voice. built. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, they've built these ladders um, yeah. that, uh, while they all while they can uh, you know take an artist from the Mercury Lounge to Madison Square Garden, um, they can also use those as leverage to say you know, you know, we we want you to play this room if you want to play this room or this mm. festival. You know, cool. Um, and so that is something that. Uh, independent venues can't offer for the most part a, a trajectory sure. upwards you know sure. now at the end of the day if a band is on fire and uh and you know plays a live nation room to start and then they play an aeg room and then they want to play a live nation room no one is going to say no um because they were because they got scorned on the previous round you know sure. but um for the promoter it's a fight to you know keep them within your system for their whole career um yep. There are some bands you'll notice just they always do Live Nation rooms or Live Nation tours and vice versa, you know, the Bowery mm -hmm. and the AG tours. Um, yep. There are some artists that really prioritize playing independent venues and keeping that um, that ecosystem alive, which I think is cool. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I'd say that, you know, uh, from the promoter end, you know, having information about, you know, what this artist has done in the past and what they do in other markets and what their value is, sure. um, is the biggest benefit to being a part of that uh, organization. Mm. Um, from the artist point of view, um, you know, when you're starting off on the club level, you're not mm. going to feel a difference uh, sure. between the clubs for the most part. Yeah, no, that, that's, that was a great illustration uh, laid it out well. I mean, out here in LA, uh, Golden Voice is pretty massive and, you know, uh, runs a lot of clubs like the Roxy or the Fonda and also Coachella. And it's kind of a perfect, you know, you'll see bands jump from the Roxy, which is like, I think 500, 600 cap up to you know, the Fonda, which is like 1200 cap. And then, you know, they're, they're on a stage at Coachella the next year. And, and that, that ladder that you're talking about, we see that pretty frequently, um, right. as well. So that's cool. That, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so talk to me um, about um, what you, when, let's say an, an unproven or uh, a kind of a newer act is coming to you, whether that's through a booking agent, a manager, or an artist themselves, um, they haven't really played the market necessarily. Uh, what would convince you to book them? What are you looking at other than historical data um, in town um, or do you just not take chances on, on acts that have never played, uh, the city before? It, it depends largely on the team around them. You know, if it's a, if it's the manager of black Pumas and an agent that we work with all the time and he says, this is my new project, it's awesome. And trust me, mm -hmm. we're going to do it. You know, if it's a band I've never heard of that doesn't, that I'm talking directly with the band, I'm not going to do it. Um, mm. because 
you know, I've, I've worked with with people who have a track record of success with us. And a lot of the industry is just trust and instinct. Um, now if it's a act coming to us that I think is amazing and they sound great and they're tour- they're coming through like on a routed date and tour and I need support and the show, you know, is probably not going to benefit that much from having a different band supporting then. Yeah. Like a lot of it is your taste as well. Um, mm. cool. and if a band hits me up and say, Hey, we're a, you know, a country rock band with a badass pedal steel guitar. I happen to love pedal steel and <laughs> you know, we have a country show that night. Um, yep. then I'm going to probably say yes, you know, especially mm. if you would do it for cheap. Um, but again, like I said, since by the nature of our size, um, we're just not a place where unproven bands get their start. You know, that's why a hundred cap, 250 cap clubs exist to build, Mm -hmm. um, build yourself. You don't just jump to the non-heavy cap level. Yeah, no, that makes, that makes uh, perfect sense. Um, do you look at, um, online like streaming numbers social media numbers any any like data like that or is it really just hard ticket sales because numbers can be manipulated but more so it's just do you even notice uh, a correlation between streaming numbers and hard ticket sales you know we see all the time that artists can get millions of streams because they got thrown on a few playlists but they can't sell 50 tickets in their home market so curious your thoughts Mm -hmm. on that yeah, we, we take all of it into consideration. Um, I'm always looking at streams and, and social following, um, but nothing speaks louder than your concert history. Um, perhaps if you've toured, you know, you may have never done a headlining tour, but you toured with a, a successful band. And if they, you know, wanted to bring you on tour, that's something that speaks to me as well. Um, and so we, we try to use, you know, all the criteria uh, to make a decision on what makes sen- most sense for us. But mm. if, if it's an amazing band that like, I'm personally passionate about, I'll find a slot for it. Um, cool. Cool. Whether it's, uh, it was a referral from someone I trust or it just came out of the blue, you know, and I do listen to, you know, the submissions that come in blind. So let's talk about those submissions. Um, what does a perfect, uh, submission look like to you? Lay it out for me. How do you receive it? Is it through an Instagram DM? Is it through an email? If it's through email, talk to me about the subject line. What do you want to see in there? Like, give me the whole, like, what does the perfect pitch look like to you? Yeah. Um, so our, like, general booking requests go to our box office, who will then forward it to me, and they'll forward everything to me. Um, and we get things that are just, like, I would like to book December 10th with you with no other information, which is going right in the trash. And then there is, you know, hey, um, we are a, you know, uh, Richmond based, uh, country rock band routing through on these dates. Um, this is our history in the Northeast market. If, if it, you might not have history in our market, tell me about adjacent markets or, you know, what kind of numbers you're doing in your home market. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always just important to let us know what size rooms you're playing. Um, mm-hmm. even if you haven't played our room before, you know, if you're doing a 500 cap club in Virginia, um, that's impressive you know, whether or not sure. you've played our market before. Um, um, other brands you've played with, festivals you've been on. Um, I'm, I've been helping a couple of local bands here kind of put together a little pitch deck and it's typically a beautiful press photo with, um, you know, Facebook, Instagram, website links at the top, a quick blurb, and then highlights and accolades. Um, you know, 50 show date tour in 2019, supported the revivalists on this one show, um, you know, here's some press, uh, so press 
performance history, links, um, description of the band, and and that's about it. Just make it look clean, make it not too long. Uh, make sure that you're putting the subject line of the venue that you're actually, you know, addressing mm. rather than just a, a blind email. A lot of times we just get, you know, hello venue, and it's like that's just to turn off immediately. Like you don't care about our venue, you just want a show anywhere. Um, yeah. So. No. That- you're mentioning uh, what sounds to me like an EPK with the photo at the top and the tour history and stuff like that. Is that do you recommend uh, bands create this EPK, this press page, this one page kind of thing that they link to within the email? Is that what you're referencing, or are you talking? Yeah, about I, I actually put it in the I, I put it in the body of an email. I don't even like the link. Oh wow! You know, the, yeah, so throw a, a throw nice, an image in the body of the email is what you're saying. Yeah, the way oh. I do it, like I, okay. I've built a couple now. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a nice centered image. It's smaller press photo, little like description, um, you know, ABC News, CBS News with the hyperlinks, you know, Facebook with the hyperlink, you know. Um, and as soon as I open my email, I see a beautiful press photo. I see some highlights, and and it, if I can see that they took the time to put something together like that, and it's addressed to Brooklyn Bowl or to me personally, then I'll take it more seriously than just uh, hello, we're looking for a show. So break this down for me a little bit more because so this email comes in, it says, so subject line is like Brooklyn Bowl, uh, September 15th. And then the email opens with, I'm assuming it would probably get a better reaction if it's, hey, Paul, um, or something like that, or hey, Brooklyn Bowl talent buyer, or something like that versus just like, hello. And then I'm assuming there should be a personalized message at the top, not just the photo, like w- I, just lay it out for me Correct, a little bit. Yeah. 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 Um- um, so yeah, you're totally right. Make it the, you know, the personal, uh, let's say subject line, um, mm-hmm. band's name, um, Brooklyn Bowl 2022. Okay. Um, Hey, um, uh, uh, to whom it may concern, uh, we are a DC based band looking for some shows out of, uh, DC on our East coast tour in October. Um, we'd love to find a date if you have any avails during this time. Uh, we are um, uh, uh, indie rock band in the variety of uh, War on Drugs or Kurt Vile. See below for additional info, and please let us know if um, there's any avails we can look at. And then there's that band's name, press photo, quick links, quick cool. bio, upcoming plans, recent highlights, that kind of thing. Nice. Very interesting. Um, that's cool. And so then it's it's essentially in your signature. Your EPK is essentially your signature. So it's right there in the in the email. Uh, normally, what would be found on the, a band's kind of hidden press page is now uh, you see it right there in the email. So the personalized message and and I, I that was like five six sentences, uh, which is helpful. I think like bands need to know like do they send you eight paragraphs? Do they give you your whole bio? Yours is straight to the point. It's kind of like, you know, here's who we are, dates we're looking for, uh, the avails, do you have any openings? Uh, here's what we sound like. And then boom, in the bio or in the signature down below is all the pertinent information, tour history, yeah. all that kind of stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Upcoming nice. plans, you know, this fe- Firefly Festival, Sick. Uh, recent press here, you know, uh, press, yeah. headlining headlining shows, you know, 300 paid at, you know, the canal club on a $15 ticket. And then at the end, you know, thanks for reading. Hope we get, you know, hope we can stay in touch. All the best. You know? So that's, specific. So I, kind of that's sandwich yeah. it, I sandwich it in between a intro. Uh, here's the meat. And then thanks for your time. Yeah. Love it. 
Cool. Super helpful. Um, if an artist is, um, let's say they have been um, working it independently DIY for a while now, uh, they've built up a pretty solid following in their hometown market. Let's say they're selling four or 500 tickets consistently. They're touring regionally selling, you know, 100, 200 uh, tickets headlining everywhere they go. They're ready for a booking agent. Um, what would you recommend an artist on how to go about finding a booking agent that's right for them that can kind of help relieve some of the work and help them get to that next level? I mean, if it's the scenario you're describing and they're doing 500 tickets consistently and they're you know selling a couple hundred tickets outside of their market, I would turn to the promoter that they've been working with in their home market for mm. advice. And um, you know, one of the uh, local artists I described uh, earlier. Um, just did their album release with us. And this was a band that's playing all the time out on the street. Uh, they do a few festivals and they sold 700 tickets and they asked me, do you know any agents? And I invited some agents out to see the show um, because I'm a supporter. I, I knew that one of the agents lived in Philadelphia and now they're in talks about, you know, representation. So it, you know, Obviously, you know, you, you need to be able, agents want to see acts that are, you know, buzzing in more markets than just their home market and that mm -hmm. they're, you know, able to, you know, they don't have to draw 500 tickets, but if they're drawing 100 tickets out outside of their home market, then mm -hmm. I'm sure agents will be interested in hearing about it. Mm -hmm. And if you've been doing right by a promoter consistently in your home market, I have no doubt that they'd be happy to, you know, start putting feelers out and inviting more industry to the next show. Um, mm. So I would lean on the people who are, you know, partnering with you in your home market um, because, you know, agents are always out there looking yeah. to sign new clients. There's no shortage of them. That's yeah. that's no, that's great advice. Um, that's awesome. Um, I, I forgot to ask you when we were talking about that pitch email. Uh, do you like to see video of any kind live or music videos uh, and even music? We didn't even talk about the music. Uh, what else goes in there in terms of the media that someone should include? Yeah, I, I have a little string of like Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, YouTube. Um, and actually, I, I actually, uh, and since when you hyperlink a YouTube link, you know, it pops up as sort of a little uh, image at the bottom of the email. Gmail, so I can, sure. immediately click, I can immediately click on it and, I, and nice. I'll do that. Um, um, high quality content is, is like obviously so much more attractive uh, and appealing. And if you get shots of, you know, a, a room with people in it, you know, oftentimes I see, you know, just a music video, like I'll, I'm just listening to the song. I don't care that much about it. Like if I see a video of you at a club and there's a lot of people there, then that's what's really drawing my attention. Um, it can even just be at a festival. Like it doesn't have to be a hard ticket show. Like if you're playing at a festival and I know that those people aren't there to see, but if I see them dancing and, and smiling and I can yeah. see that they're responding well to your music, um, awesome. that's something I look for as well. Um, you know, okay. oftentimes when I'm going to see shows, um, I'm there for the opener and looking around just to see how people are responding to the opener. If they're just talking over them or if they're actually paying attention and enjoying it. And yeah. often I'll ask you, yeah, Hey, did you know that opener? No, I didn't, but I really liked them. And so, yeah, awesome. okay, well that band just won that random person over out of nowhere, you know? Yeah. So cool. Um, so videos are helpful, but you know, mm. making sure that it conveys like there's a lot of people at my show or the people that are there are really enjoying it. Um, mm. because I don't really care too much about seeing a music video. Cool. Great. Super helpful. Um, what have you noticed? I, you know, fingers crossed, we're kind of coming out of the pandemic. Uh, no more, no more shutdowns, no more lockdowns, no more uh, canceled shows. Uh, 
But uh, what are you noticing kind of as we as we discuss post pandemic, what this reality is now looking like? Uh, what are the biggest differences that you're seeing now versus uh, pre pandemic versus, you know, what how things were working in 2019? Mm-hmm. I mean, generally, like artists sales are down um, and we're all trying to diagnose what the cause of that is. Mm-hmm. Um, in our, you know, since we're booking a lot of like jam bands and funk bands that, that tour, they're touring monsters. You know, these aren't like bands that go on tour every five years. Mm-hmm. Those kind of artists, like Harry Styles, you know, you're not going to see him. When you see him if he's Lady Gaga, like Coldplay. Those those shows are going to sell out because you know that it's a once every five years kind of thing. But sure. for artists that we do that are just like touring animals, New Orleans bands, and you know. Southern rock and jam bands, like that's where they make their money out on the road and they're touring in the spring and they're touring in the fall. And for, you know, a multitude of reasons uh, from, you know, still, you know, pandemic reluctance to go back to inside recession. um, And then just like general behavior, like uh, evolution of like people who are just not into being around crowds as much anymore, regardless of um, any, any pandemic fear. Um, we think all of that is factored into just like a little lighter attendance uh, for for some of the more like common touring acts and people who are going to say, you know, I'll just go see them again next year and skip this round. So mm-hmm. so we have to come like deal with the reality that like those artists like can't take less money than they're used to making on, out on the road. But at the same time, we know that like the numbers are probably not where they used to be pre pandemic still. Sure. Sure. Um, and that's a difficult conversation to have when there's like when they're partners of yours and they've you know helped your venue in the past and you want to do right by them but at the same time like it's it's hard to justify mm. paying the same amount of money when you know the show's not going to perform as well so that's been a, a, a difficult um tightrope um, mm. to walk mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and so you know some of that you see as a result of you know if artists need to make the same amount of money then we need to increase ticket prices um because if we think that if there's going to be less people coming, then we need to make more money with those less people by increasing the ticket price because the artists won't take less money. Um, mm. And so that, that factors into the equation as well. Um, and then, you know, com- with, with all the artists having been dormant for so long, everybody's coming back at the same time. And so, mm-hmm. you know, while our calendar looks stellar in the fall, so does everyone else's. And as we've seen with, you know, rising prices for everyday items, like, people aren't going to be going to four or five shows a week. And so they're going to be selective and inevitably, you know, it's a competition every night for us with who else is playing in the market. Like hopefully there's not other competition in our genre Mm -hmm. and hopefully, you know, there's not a giant, you know, big sporting event happening on the night. You know, you're always trying to, you can never predict what's going to happen. You're crossing your fingers that there's not competition, whether it's on a, another show, another big event. Um, And so, I think we're dealing with more every night competition more so than we have in the past. Um, mm. I think we just saw like a, a huge glut of festivals over the summer and everybody's yep. competing for dollars that aren't there as much anymore. So mm-hmm. that's going to be uh, an interesting thing to look at, you know, while everything looks good on paper, we'll see how you know the, these shows actually play off. 
Great, great. Well, Paul, this was uh, such a helpful, informative, um, illuminating conversation. I know that everybody listening to this has has really uh, taken a lot from this, and uh, appreciate your generosity and your wisdom and transparency with with everything. I know everyone listening to this. There's a lot of info that uh, not not uh, enough people uh, reveal, and and I appreciate that you were uh, so open about um, sharing um, your knowledge and all this info. And I know the artists and managers and, and agents and everyone else uh, listening appreciates that as well. Um, I have one final question that I ask everyone who comes on the show, and that is, uh, what does it mean to you to make it in the new music business? The new music business? Um, um, I guess there's different ways to interpret the new music business. But for me, like, um, I've always just gravitated towards the live experience. I've had really moving moments of my life um, at live concerts. I've grown up playing in bands and, um, you know, some of the most pivotal moments of my life, I feel like have been at a concert, uh, whether it's meeting some friends or a girlfriend or just having a powerful experience listening to a certain song or a certain artist. I've always gravitated towards that experience. And so being able to be, uh, you know, involved in the careers of these incredible artists and the most dynamic and impactful artists of our time um, is something that motivates me. Um, mm. Being in that orbit and being able to contribute to spreading the message and, and promoting um, that art is something that I would do on my own. You know, I enjoy taking friends to see new music they haven't seen before and turning them on. And to make a living doing that is something I take a lot of pride in and it you know, motivates me to, to keep going and, and see how far it'll take me. Love it. Paul Bacher, thank you so much. This is great. Thank you, Ari. Yeah, great to meet you. Today's episode was edited by Maxton Hunter, theme music by Brassroots District, and produced by all the great people at Ari's Take. So it is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features, annual fee unlimited uploads, and you keep 100% of your royalties. Check out districtkid.com.